You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. And good afternoon, folks. Yes, it's another show here at Dublin South FM with myself, Joe Dalton, crossing the Rubicon. We seem to be crossing the Rubicon a lot lately in the interviews we've been doing, especially the shows over the last maybe six or seven weeks. It seems that we are meandering towards sensibility. Or are we? Are people starting to realize what truth is, what courage is, and what lies we are being told? And this week, I have Mary, who is a principal from a school here in Ireland. And Mary got in touch with me because she has realized that schools are changing or have changed. And as we know, coming coming into 2020, we were all nervous. We were all scared. We were all worried about COVID. We were worried about lockdown. And in doing so, we made decisions that we thought was the best interest for protecting our children in our schools. So we implemented rules and regulations from an adult point of view, thinking we were knowing and doing best for our children. And as more and more people are speaking out, what we are doing to our children with mask wearing and distance and don't do this and building fear into their minds. We've asked Mary on to maybe give a principal side of a story and hopefully as parents we can understand the damage that we could be causing our children. Mary, thanks for coming on to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Joe. Tell me, Mary, before we went on air here, you mentioned that schools have changed in what way have our schools changed? Well, I suppose we're just going to focus on on the changes that have happened now since March 2020. And up to um, March 2020, schools, um, of course, they're educational institutions, and but they're very social institutions as well. And children went to school and they would have been learning um, academics, but they would also have been learning how, how to get on with other people. And they would learn that from the staff, but they would also learn it from one another. And in schools, a lot of the time, we would have had older children involved with teaching games to younger ones or doing those kind of things. And we would mix groups a lot. We would have school assemblies. We used to have a school assembly three times a week. And in that school assembly, we would have a theme for the day and it might be a theme for the week, but we would have a theme for every day. And we would discuss things that are happening in the school and why they're happening and whatever. And all that changed then when we came back to school in September after having quite a long break. It was almost six months of a break. We came back to school in September 2020. And now all of a sudden, um, mixing was not allowed anymore. Every teacher was now quite isolated, I feel, in a sense, in her own classroom because, you know, classes were not to mix. Uh, Staff meetings only happened by Zoom, which is not very conducive to actually a proper staff meeting. 
there was a sense of uncertainty, a sense of nervousness, as you said. And it did feel, the staff were the first people to notice that even more so than children, that a lot of the fun and a lot of the positivity was gone out of school. We did our best to do what we could. And of course, the department had asked us to focus on mindfulness and well-being as a project for 2020-21 school year. I suppose we found it quite difficult to do that because the one thing that struck me is how can you focus on the well-being of children when you are standing, you are asked to stand away from them, you are physically asked to wear a mask so that they can't, they can't read your face, they can't gauge what you're thinking. And I just felt now for the last while that schools have, they've changed it now, but school for 2020 to 2021 was not a a very positive, happy place for staff or children. We know that body language plays a very big part in a communication. And if you are muzzled up from the nose down, which is blocking all part of your face, that interaction or that body language is non-existent. That's right. And I learned it very quickly in actually in September of 2020 when we had new parents who came to the school. And I mean, people that you know for years, you can kind of gauge them better. You can read them better. But we had uh, myself and a class teacher had a meeting with parents um, about incidents that were in school that concerned them. And they asked us for a meeting even though I suppose we were we were asked not to physically meet parents, we did feel that those parents had a concern that they needed to speak to us. And myself and the class teacher met with them. And these were new parents that we didn't know. I suppose we'd always been told that the as long as you can see a person's eyes, that can you can read their face, which you can't. And we were two professional adults who were very experienced in in reading how people's demeanor and knowing like I couldn't tell if these people were angry if they were extremely sad I mean I could you could you could know by their words they would tell you how they were feeling but I I couldn't read their face and here was I a professional person with experience and always finding it difficult to read people and I was just thinking how about the four and five and six-year-olds seven-year-olds even even a little bit older how are they gauging their new teachers how are they supposed to know what their teacher is actually thinking or saying and Children need to use absolutely every skill when they are working. And that created a barrier, I felt, definitely did not help their emotional development and their social development. Yeah, it's from children from four, five, six, right up to 16, 17 and 18, right across the whole board. You know, you're talking about when you're speaking to parents and you're trying to judge them like we all do. We're looking for facial expressions. We're looking for shoulder expressions. We're wanting to see. But you can't you can't if you can't tell that within a parent in a meeting, how the hell are teachers and principals meant to gauge that in a classroom of students of any age that are wearing face masks? How can that? How can you? You can't. There are children who start at secondary school, primary school, 
at least the children are in the same class with the same people all the time. But once they went to secondary school, now all of a sudden they may have gone into a room where they only knew one or two other people before they went to that secondary school. And now here they are in a new situation, didn't know their teachers, didn't know their classmates and a mask on their face. And how are they supposed to actually have a normal social life with these people if if that's the way, if that barrier is going to be there? It's creating something within children that we have not really established yet. But I, whatever it is going to establish in, the, in our children is not good, is not going to be good. It's, in my own opinion, what we are doing to our children, there's more damage being done than what COVID will have done or has done. We're going to be dealing with mental and emotional issues for decades in speaking to teachers and speaking to other principals there's like children are just coming like zombies in schools don't think so not not within our own school what i see in our own school is the the massive rise in anxiety so there are always there would be children who are prone to, to anxiety and there'd be adults too you know we have adults on the staff who would be like that and they're prone to anxiety but we see it's gone nearly epidemic now in primary in schools. From what I can see, we are having children who are a lot more anxious, who are a lot less sure of themselves than they should be in schools and their peer groups. And people were very isolated. Like, you know, there were children who who didn't see other children. Like, I mean, at the very start. And and we did hear all you know all the all the stories on the radio and newspapers and televisions about people who were mixing all the time and that there were children uh, mixing in housing estates. There were the vast majority of children did not. You know their parents kept them in. They were at home. They were trying to homeschool them. Parents were under pressure because parents were trying to now do a job at home in their house and homeschool their children. And Parents were under pressure and tense, and that tension was, in not through any fault of their own, passed on to their children. And then they came back to school in September, and now the adults are wearing masks, and now the adults are supposed to be standing a certain distance away. A child approaches your table, and you're supposed to put your hand up and tell that child, you know, don't come any further. How would children not be anxious? How would children not be unsure of themselves? How would that not have a generation of people overthinking everything? I mean, it. It has to, it has to happen. It's little minds. Do you know the one thing that sort of resonates with me as well, that these, the people that are making these rules, do they have children? Do they have small children? We all sort of make decisions within our own, own life. So if you're dealing with small children or, you know, teenagers, you sort of look and concerned about them, or if you have family and are in a nursing home, you're focused on the family in the nursing home. But if the people that are making these decisions don't have small children or, you know, children are grown up, they don't really care. They're just making the decisions out of what's going on in their own lives. You are not the first principal or not the first teacher that have I have spoken to who are really concerned about what's going on in the, in the schools. And what are the teachers' unions uh, saying about this? What What are the thoughts from the teachers' unions? I think for 
for the at the start, maybe I think I feel that teachers unions were very strong on on wanting to comply, wanting to make sure that that staff members were safe and that children were safe. I think teachers are starting to question things more now. I, I do think so. Union wouldn't be my thing, Joe, now, okay. honestly. Well, then I'll ask you the next question. Insurance companies. Have insurance companies, have they some understanding or, you know, have they got a risk assessment to what possible outcomes might come from children suffering from anxiety or not being able to express themselves? What's what's the law, the land with the insurance companies or liability? I don't know. Yeah. Simple answer. And our insurance company hasn't brought that up with me. The only things that insurance companies would have been questioning, I suppose, is that we would have had uh, the sanitizing stations that we were meant to have, that we would have a COVID policy in place. To be fair, Probably at the start, we would have known that this would have had a, a massive impact on children. But I don't think, to be honest, when we came back to school in September 2020, that we saw it still ongoing. And just to say, Joe, as well, um, you know, there there are changes happening in the country, um, but schools are still supposed to be under the same. We were told to come back to school in September as we were in March with the same restrictions in place, with the same um, the same sanitising uh, routines, the same hand washing, the same mask wearing. So schools are not changing. But, well, yeah, but maybe insurance companies will start to look on that. And maybe that's the questions we should be asking. I know parents are certainly asking. Parents are definitely asking schools. They're definitely asking schools, have we thought of the long term effects that this is going to have? On, on children and if you were asked that to put that to the department of education they'd probably look at you with some sort of strange look until they came up with an answer that suited them i suppose i have i have contacted the department about a couple of things but um you know the department should get very standardized letter back thank you for your inquiry and you know, we hear a lot about uh, whenever you question anything in the department, we hear a lot about what the department has done. You know, there were there were lots of uh, new grants that were sent to our schools to help us with with the the sanitizing and with the extra cleaning that's involved, whatever. But it makes me laugh sometimes because there are parents who have asked us, you know, who have, have written to our school and have asked us like, um, do we have the pod system in place? And there are questions around that. And I don't know if, if, if you realise, but like the pod and the bubble system was an absolute joke because all, all a bubble is, is your classroom group, which we always had. And all the pod is, is children sitting around a table, which we've always had. So the department were selling parents some, putting a, a different name on it to try and give parents some sort of comfort that there was some extra protection being given to their children. And some of the other things, I mean, it sounds like something out of a, a horror movie in some ways, like... George Orwell. Yes, no singing. That's what we were told in 2020, no singing. Imagine telling children you can't sing. Okay, yeah. That's how children learn, and they find that that's how you teach children a new language. I mean, when they're when they're very small children, their capacity for learning language is is um, 
is heightened, but but they learn it through learning poems and songs. That's how we treat yeah, them. Poems and songs help children express themselves and give them that creativity. You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. We know that tablets and screens and everything takes away children's intuition, their creativity. It takes away their lateral thinking because they're focused on these screens. But if you're taking away singing and joy and laughter, this affects children as well because, you know, you're turning omnibots. You know, children just sit, do do what you're told, stand up, go out and play, come in. It's it's quite bizarre. So you said there that the government gave you money. Like, what did the government give all the schools? Was it? A couple of thousand? Was it twenty thousand, thirty thousand? What? 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 Well, it, would be, it would have been based, I suppose, on the the amount of um, children in your school, as as are all grants. But um, it was certainly like we we got a, a grant of twenty thousand to make any physical changes that needed to be made. So say schools would have got money to put in sinks if they didn't have them in classrooms or put in washing stations or to put in these sanitizing stations. Uh, We would have got money for extra cleaners who would come in during the school day and clean the the doors, handles. So, you know, we were grateful for it at the time because we thought this was going to help, but it's actually mad when you think of it because a cleaner can clean a door handle and the very next person that touches it has now undone the work that the cleaner has yeah, done it's, anyway. It's, yeah. So it, it's madness. You would want somebody standing at a door all school day wiping that door every time it's touched to guarantee that it's safe. So I, I'm sure the department felt that they they were they were doing their best to keep the school safe. I know that we felt as a school community that when we got our COVID plan together that we were doing our best. But I'm I'm really questioning the the energy and the money that went into some of the things when when there's like when there are children in our school now who who are five years of age and they'll be told it'll be five years before they'll be seen by a speech therapist. What what damage is going to be done there? Yeah, it's, you know, spending money on someone cleaning a handle when a child can't see a speech therapist for five years. And we know schools, any money that schools get is welcomed. That's the school gets a small donation or has a raffle and all the parents buy the cakes and it's two years and five years. That money, when when principals get that money, it goes into the school, you know, the playground or so, something for the children. It's It goes towards the schools. Yeah. So we know children and we know schools welcome money. So the money that the, you know, the department was offering you, in, I'd say was welcomed, welcomed. Do you feel now the money was like hush money or your your thoughts on that? Um. We would, like any grant that we get from the department, we would have to keep receipts, yes. So we would have to show, um, we would have to be very careful and our board of management would be very strong on making sure that we have all the receipts going back to prove that we have spent the money on what it was meant to be spent. So you're saying that the money would be spent on the children, but actually the COVID cleaning grants can only be spent on COVID cleaning. We would have to show that that, and schools were told that any money that was left over had to be sent back. I don't in any way feel it was hush money. I don't honestly think it was hush money. Um, I think the department genuinely felt that this was going to be something that would help schools. But 
it's the thing that galls with me, I suppose, is that this money came so easily without us looking for it. And it's being spent on uh, hand sanitizers and extra uh, paper towels and all those things when the school struggles to try and find uh, like you're saying yourself cake sales and all like that schools would not run schools would not manage without those cake sales they wouldn't mm-hmm. manage and they certainly wouldn't be able to kit out um, the special uh, education room would, we would get some grant for that, but we would certainly, and it's because anything to do with, with special educational needs is quite expensive. So we certainly would be able, and it's so difficult to get money from every other things. And this money was given to us very easily without us looking for it. And that started to make me question, like, you know, I, I'm not saying the department is making any money, but somebody is making massive money out of all the sales of these masks and the sanitizers and the paper towels. Somebody yeah, is. Yeah, it's the tenders that they send out and someone wins the tender. And even in the HSE, a tender will finish in December and they'll start taking on a new tender in January in the HSE. And all those gowns and all those masks and everything that they have in warehouses they have to get rid of them. So they could have spent, overspent, or dumped them. They waste the money on it. But what message would you want to give to parents about the children wearing masks and all the stuff that's going on in the schools that's causing our children damage? You know, what... What message do you want to tell our listeners? Do you want to say, look, we need to stop this. We need to cop on. Well, certainly, yes, I do feel that it has done damage to our children already. And my worry would be that the the damage that is being done, even though we have seen some of it already, I've, t- I've told you like we, we do have children who are much more anxious than they used to be, who are finding it harder to make friends than they used to be. My worry is that we haven't even seen We've just seen the tip of the iceberg, I think. And I think we're looking at it a long number of years ahead where children are going to be suffering still and families are going to be suffering still because of it. And I suppose the one thing I would like to say is that um, I know that um, I, for one, will be very strongly against primary school children wearing masks of any age. I mean, they're asking now, I, I believe that the, there was... The INGO, our union, seems to have asked about the department looking at bringing down the age from 13 to younger. I would be very strongly against primary school children. Primary school children are protected much more in the sense that they're in the same room all the time with the same adult. So they are their their pod or their bubble or whatever. Like there's a natural protection there that they're only mixing with the same people all the time. And I would I would be very strongly against uh, primary school children wearing masks. And I do think that schools will have to look at ways, much more inventive ways and creative ways of making sure that school is now part. Like we started now, we had an assembly. We had an assembly in October. We had two or three. We did them outside. You know, we didn't, you know, do them, do them inside. We didn't uh, go fly in the face of any regulations but we just were looking at ways now of bringing back we had the same uh we went for a walk in our in our halloween costumes we had the children the the younger children because 
uh, bigger kids in schools, fifth and sixth class children in schools, love to watch the infants doing their bit, doing their songs, doing their whatever. They they they, they can be quite little mammies and daddies in in fifth and sixth class, but we felt for the first time that the um on the day we had our Halloween break that some of the fun was back, some of the joy was back. We had music, we had singing, we had all those things. And I think schools, I think parents, I would hope that parents wouldn't would stand up to stand up against the mask wearing if it comes in for younger children. I don't think it's really going to protect them uh, from anything. Um, like Joe, we had cases, we've had COVID cases, um, as many schools have, and we had COVID cases in infant classes twice and um it didn't spread very far. In like the first time, nobody got it. The, the infants were sent home for two weeks, but there were no cases. There were no cases outside of the children who got it. And the second time that we had cases, two children got it. But none of those children were very sick. And no adults got it either. And to be honest, the infant teachers in our school, our COVID plan says that adults are asked to wear masks. And then... Um, I think the mask wearing wasn't mandatory now when we had the cases, but no adults working in the room. And there were there were four adults working closely in in the two rooms and no adult got it. And those adults weren't vaccinated at that time. So I think schools are not as dangerous a place as no. we're being led to believe. No, I don't. I, I don't. honestly believe that. And I do know that the cases are rising and I know that cases are rising in schools but I'm not convinced that the children are getting the cases in schools and I'm not convinced that it's being spread as widely in schools as we're being led to believe. Yeah, yeah. We, we speaking to uh, teachers, they can clarify, you know, exactly what you're saying as well on it. And even with junior and senior infants, like when you're teaching a child to read and write and, you know, now know their vowels, they're looking at your lips you know and absolutely and they and they're watching the lips and they're watching everything and if you have a mask on that you're not teach you can't teach them you know no and i was wearing a mask i did work i i did work in the infants rooms last year and i was wearing my mask as i was supposed to and that's the one thing i learned the children i was saying things and the children were repeating them after me and they were saying them wrong so from then on, I just took the mask off. I took the mask off when I was doing language work with children. I took the mask off and that was it. Mary, I I hope that other principals around the country will listen to your strength and your courage that know deep down in their own heart that this is wrong, that they know deep down in their own heart that this needs to end and they're only following rules and regulations because they've been told to, they're following the herd. And they kind of need to kind of go, you know, I've seen this for nearly two years now and I can make a judgment call which is right for the children, for their protection and, you know, for their for their mental health for the future as well. So I thank you, Mary, for, for coming on. And I think I'm pretty... For adult mental health too, Joe, because while this fear and this nervousness is going on in the school community, it's being brought home to to families as well and, 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 and staff members. So, yeah, 
I, I would hope that I, th I, th I do think that schools, I do think that schools have uh, a lot of schools have started to rethink and to look at things differently. I'm not saying they're doing anything differently yet, but certainly in our school, we have we have started to do what we can. Ask questions. Ask questions. If something doesn't sit right, ask the question. The answer that you may get may be something which is not the answer to your question. It might be a, a segue. And if that question isn't asked, you know, it's it's look for it. It's look for the designated letter of authority. It's look for all the information that is being generated or what research has gone into making those decisions and wanting to see the proof. I think that if parents start to ask those right questions, then we'll find out. And one of the concerns as well for you know, parents which are speaking to us is in secondary schools is, you know, the damage that this is causing their, their ch children. And they want to know, is the school's insurance going to cover the liability when these parents come suing the schools for the damage that they've caused their children? So that's the other thing as well. Mary, I hope your school flourishes. I hope all the children in Cork love you. And I hope that you will, as I say, be that beacon of light for other principals that know exactly the same as you, but are, they just need someone to go first. And I think you have done that. So, Mary, thank you very much for coming on to Dublin South FM. Thanks, Joe. And remember, here at Dublin South FM, we're interviewing plenty of people around the world, conscious leaders, and that's why we have the Conscious Business Podcast, which is part of the Conscious Business Academy, offering purpose, profit, and prosperity in your life through soulful selling, mindful marketing, conscious leadership, and creative culture. If you want to reach out to me, it's joedalton.ie. You have an awesome week, and take care and look after yourself. You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon.